Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Paul Silk, General Manager of Steve Burstow Stonemasonry. Paul, hello. Hi, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, well, I, I think it's just a question of, you know, leading, um, you know, can be um, leading either people, processes, systems. And the word lead for me is somebody who's at the forefront of um, their particular field in question, really. And what is your personal leadership style? Well, I would say I'm, it, it's fairly fairly open, approachable, um, engaging. I think you know, recognise the importance of working working as a team. I think if if you set some set some guidelines, um, everybody's got a clear uh, roadmap that they're looking to follow. Then you know, it's it's everybody's uh, role within the team to to help deliver the overall um, an overriding objective that the, that the business um, or team actually sets, really. So you like to form a real collaborative uh, workspace? Um, out, out of preference, yes. I think, uh, you know, there's some, there's a bit of a cliche, but I think the sum of the, uh, the, indi- the individual parts is, is greater as a team than, than individuals acting uh, independently. Nobody has all the right answers, and uh, it's, it's often, you know, working as a team, uh, brainstorming and, and uh, bouncing ideas around that you know some of the better better ideas come to come to the surface. Really, let's go back to the beginning of your career when you were first starting out. Was there a particular individual who formed the way that you lead today? Um, yeah, for the <laughs> for the wrong reasons. I, I worked for. Um, an American person, and I think you know through through my career, I, I think you know like most other people, you you learn from how not to do things or how you don't want to do things uh, as much as you know doing the right things and being successful. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, an early experience was very much of um, the, the, the management style that I didn't really want to um, you know progress in my career really. And that is actually one of the most uh, common things I hear from people is that you can learn as much from bad leaders as you can from good ones. Isn't that right? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I go along with that, really. But I think it's up to the individuals in question to, you know, try and assimilate what they're, what they're faced with and actually digest, um, you know, the situations that they're actually in and take the positives uh, from, from any negative uh, behaviors. Matthew. And what would you say are the characteristics of a bad leader? Um, I think that's a really difficult question to answer because it depends on the circumstances of of the industry, the company, the team situation. It might be linked to the you know the resources that the particular leader has, certain pressures that the leader has. I I, I couldn't answer that and, and say what makes a bad leader, but I think one trait that that is a negative is not respecting, you know, the people that um, the leader would be um, responsible for, really. 
Now, within your own business, uh, you would manage a, a decent amount of people. And of course, managing people means managing humans. Humans aren't flawless. They have issues with each other sometimes. Sometimes they become ill. Sometimes they have something going on at home. How do you uh, go over these challenges in the workplace? I think each situation has its has its own, you know, um, own own problems. I think you, you know you try and analyse a a situation um, and resolve it as amicably as possible. And leaders, you know, unfortunately, will have to make decisions, and sometimes they're not popular. But you know, providing people have sight of the longer term goal, then I think that that's the best perspective to, to actually take. So it's important to be able to stick to your guns, as it were. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, Steve, who's our, our owner of our, our business, you know, he's, he's had the business for, for 26 odd years or so. Um, you know, we are one of the leading suppliers uh, and manufacturers down in the southwest. And, and, and Steve is always, you know, looking at ways to improve, has exacting standards in terms of quality, uh, you know, not only in terms of product, but the individual's performance as well. Um, but it's that that consistency, um, because as a as a leader, whether that's a leader as a person or or a leading business, you know, you have to keep delivering the same, if not better, uh, standards and quality of work than than previous. Um, so that's my take on it. Now, what sort of leaders inspire you? I think um, entrepreneurs uh, in, inspire me where, you know, I think business can be quite formulaic. I think with, you know, the use of technology these days, it can be quite automated. I think uh, entrepreneurs um, stick out for me because, you know, they've actually seen something that, you know, the rest of us don't necessarily see. They have, you know, the strength and conviction uh, behind and a belief in their ideas, um, so I wouldn't want to, you know, pinpoint any particular individual. But generally, those with entrepreneurial spirit are those that inspire me, um, <laughs> make me and, and challenge myself in terms of the way that I actually think as well. Really. Mm. Now, what's your advice to the next generation entering work? Um, I think it's. I think it's the mantra that, you know, so as I've mentioned before, Steve has, I have, you know, try and be the best that you can. Um, don't be afraid to, to make mistakes. Everybody will make mistakes. I think it's through experience. I think you, you get a bit cuter in terms of seeing some of the signs um, and, you know, through experience and, and doing things, um, the decision-making process becomes easier seeing how to work with people, systems and processes becomes a little bit easier. Uh, but my, my tip is, 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 you know, have have belief in your own abilities and be expect to make mistakes um, and experience and try things um, on a small scale because it, it's almost like, you know, small experiments. If you see if something doesn't work in the way that you think it was, and, and analyze and evaluate what you've done. Could you've done it better? And then, um, you know, try and do it a different way and see what sort of results you get, basically. 
Now, if I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? The greatest leader, living or dead? Difficult, I know. Um, <laughs> I would have to. I would have to. I would say Winston Churchill is a is a pretty inspiring um, leader, and, a, and mm. a, I would say a, strat, a strategist and a tactician as well. So I think he, he, he'd get my vote. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very much uh, running towards its close. Uh, but before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Steve Bristow Stowe Masonry? I think it's just building on, you know, the, the, the 26 years of, of, of growth, uh, you know, continual growth that we've had. We've invested in um, innovative uh, technologies. We've brought new um, equipment to, to our uh, manufacturing process, um, continuing to, you know, uh, extol the virtues of the, of the standards that we have. And we've entered a new market segment uh, in furniture. Steve's come up with a way of um, bending and shaping quartz, which gives us an opportunity to create some pretty funky um, mm. furniture designs. So we're actually extending our our market uh, presence in, in terms of the furniture furniture market. So it's pretty pretty exciting times and uh, you know, things don't stand still here, which is which is great. Well Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you and I hope that you'd come back on the program soon to uh, give us a bit more information about this uh, stone furniture. It sounds uh, quite intriguing. Paul, thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Paul Silk, general manager of Steve Bristow Stone Masonry. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, there were one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always 
mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more, was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict 
probably at a time it maybe overly strict, but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed professional 
uh, top quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really 
struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave. And set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact. to younger players coming in into the team laterally, um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you? as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a play, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to... Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even, uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it 
that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the... Um, uh, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mindedness, uh, single mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, 
Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.